Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Rest of the lyrics, though. A never-ending story. <laughs> there, that's all we need to know. I love that show, dude. The that mo- movie, the yeah, the movie, movie. Yeah. movie. Okay, so, um, full disclosure. Obviously, last week's episode, which we just recorded about thirty minutes ago, okay. um, was about Stranger Things. Now, yeah. for anybody who's seen the show in season three and in season four, there are major direct references to the never-ending story. The other day, uh, I guess it's close to a week ago now, Nick texts me like, dude, I just randomly watched The NeverEnding Story. We should do an episode about it. Yeah, I hadn't seen it since I was probably like seven. Same. I haven't seen it in over 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right, sounds sick. Like, I already agreed. And then I said, I'll watch it. Don't worry. I watched it like the next day or the day after. And (laughs) I took more notes than I've ever taken for any of our episodes yet. It, it was it was wild. So like Raven came over. Shout out Raven. Shout out Raven. And, and me, him, and Casey just watched it. And like the, because we were like, oh, none of us has seen this movie in forever. Casey had actually never seen it. And uh, we we put it on, and almost immediately, me and Raven were both like, "This is good." Like this. Yeah, is, it's actually like it it holds up. It really held up because all I remembered about the movie was like Falcor yeah. and like how cheesy he looked and whatever. But like, oh my god, dude! I was taking mental notes the whole time. Like, that's esoteric. That's a cult. That's like it, it is spiritual. We we have a lot to unpack in this episode, so let's do this. Let's okay, tackle okay. it from this angle. All right. Let's for the because it is a very old movie. It's from the 1980s. A lot of people our age, probably like we did, watched it 20 plus years ago when yeah. we were little kids. Similar to you. The only thing I remembered was Falcor and the big rock guy. I, I didn't remember any of the other shit. It, yep. it was all new to me, mm-hmm. even though I've seen it multiple times yeah. back then. So let's do this. Let's give a very basic overview of the premise and the plot. Okay. And then 
let's dive into the occult shit. Please. You want to do that? That sounds right. fantastic. Do you, do you want to take off the plot or do you want Sure. To? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's your typical plot of like a young boy um, who is kind of misunderstood and he's- Big dreamer. Bi- yeah. Big imagination, imagination, but he's kind of like, he's, he's depressed. I mean, low key, he's depressed. His mom his, died. His, yeah. his mom died like- just before the story starts or, or some period close to when the story starts. Um, and he doesn't really seem to connect with his dad because they don't really have the same kind of interests or whatever. He's, he's very much like a bookworm. He, yeah. You know, he's, he's bullied he, at school. He's yeah. a quiet little sweet kid. People, you know, bullies like chase him down the alleyway and beat him up. Cause he's like a nerd or whatever, you know, it's very like stereotypical, like nerd 80s, and, and yeah. bully kind of, yeah. kind of shit. And, uh, essentially when he is, running away from these bullies, he stumbles into a bookshop, like this bookstore. And, you know, he's a huge nerd. He's read, like he's read over a hundred books and he's like 11 or 12. Like he's like a voracious. He's read all the classics. Yeah. A voracious reader. And he just happens through fate to hide in this bookstore. And he meets the owner of the bookstore. He's an old grumpy codger who hates kids. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect description. Yeah. It, it, but I don't like kids. He literally <laughs> says, yeah. I don't like kids. Are you a kid? Get out of my store. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. And and uh but you know, when he finds out that um Bastion? Bastion. Bastion. Yeah. When he finds out that Bastion is like a voracious reader, he his whole demeanor changes and he's like, oh. It was it was a very stark change in his attitude. Yeah, the old man was like the the little machines that go beep beep boop booper at the yeah. arcade store next door. Kid. Yeah, 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 exactly. He's like, get out of here. This he's ain't like, for you. Exactly. Yeah, and and uh, his whole demeanor flips like 180 degrees instantly when he finds out this kid is like a voracious reader. Which, upon first watching, you're like, oh, okay, maybe they just have this thing they can connect on. Maybe they're just like, you know, they're both into reading, so now they have something in common. Whatever. Um, and the old codger, I like that word. Yeah, I like yeah. It's, that it's word. the perfect it, description. Perf- He's an yeah. old grumpy codger. For sure. Yeah. He's like reading this big like Necronomicon looking book that's like all like dark looking and whatever. Yeah. And he's very ominously tells the kid like, you don't want to read this story. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Because remember they open a dialogue. He's like, have you read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? And he was like, yes, I have, the yeah. little boy. And he's like, did you ever feel like you were trapped underwater and blah, blah, blah? Like and, Captain and, Nemo. Yeah, like yeah. Captain Nemo and yeah. you can't get out. And the little boy was like, yeah, but it's not real. And the old man's like, this one, you don't want to read this yeah. one. This one's real. Yeah. You can't escape from, you this can't one. escape from this one. Yeah. Know? And the kid's like, whatever old man, I can freaking read the book. And so it one, it one way gets a phone call. Yeah. He walks out of the gets room. A phone call little and boy snatches the book. He swipes that book and leaves him a note. Like I'll bring it back. But then the old man <laughs> looks like happy. He's yeah. Like, it's like he uh, wanted that to happen. Exactly. He grins. He, yeah. he almost in a very like green man kind of way. He wanted to pique Bastion's interest and he wanted him to steal the I, book. I kind of got that vibe too. He did. Yeah. He, he did. It's <laughs> like he was happy. I even paused it. I was like, Jenny, look, he's happy. Like this that, was destiny. It was fate. Exactly. Yeah. That was confirmed by him like smiling. What's about- up, Alex? I'm going to be real with y'all. Okay. Uh, if someone says, Hey, read this book. A hundred percent chance I'm not reading it, <laughs> dude. I'm yeah. I'm the polar opposite. Like I I love reading. This is like a I've always read, but I read a lot. In you're this like stage. that with everything. You're just rebellious. No, that's exactly right, Ooh, Alex. That's true. Songs, yeah. movies, you're shows. rebellious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Alex doesn't like to be recommended. Things. I'm not gonna do. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm gonna do it because I want to do it. That's why he's yeah. seen no movies, no shows. But hey, he's getting better. 
He's getting better. He's he's like almost done with Game of Thrones, y'all. And that's, that's a insane. Feat. That's a, that's a, we gotta give it. Yeah, that, I just that's, have a very. Um, I say I'm very particular with what I listen to and what I watch. I just don't tend to go out on a limb and watch something that would be like out of what I would consider good. See, I just like consuming content. I I, I like a wide variety of content, and I just genuinely like you know consuming content. So that's why I like watching shows. Well, it doesn't I, have to be the best show ever. For yeah. Me. And, and a little sidebar, I used to be like very judgmental and elitist about all the, yeah. When the, we were younger, yeah, the stuff I like is way cooler than the stuff you like, which is like, dude, we were kids. Nobody wants to hang yeah, out with kids, that guy. That's yeah. That's now, I know you're not calling me that way. Right? No, I'm not. not. Of course, no, 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 no. of course not. You're not no. like that. You're no, not. No, no. It's more of a time thing, really. Yeah, yeah. That's all it is. I mean, dude, you're a freaking surfer. And for bro. the record, I don't think you would like Neverending Story. That's no. It's not what you, you would. It's not, like it's not it, your no. vibe. It's, it's no. very, very. So now I gotta watch it. No. Oh my. Yeah. Now that we told him not to, he's gonna <laughs> oh watch my it. God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We know that you like to spend most of your time riding on Ryan's waves. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, where were we at? Where? Were, oh, Sorry. little little. He takes the book. So he takes the book. Well, and a little sidebar. Now where I'm at in my life, I am very, very forgiving to everything that I consume, like almost to a fault where like I, I would much rather pick out the things I love about something I'm consuming than focus on the things that are shitty. Because like, if I really wanted to pick it apart, there are so many things about never ending story that I could have been like, this is lame or whatever. Yeah, Like the puppets look yeah, like shit. Sure. Who cares? But who cares? I want to pull the stuff that I love from it because that's ultimately I can leave consuming content with two different experiences. I could either take things away that I love from it, or I can ruminate about how much I didn't like it. And I would rather like it. Never ending story is so good because it is a classic timeless example of extreme high fantasy, but also like in a very innocent and childlike way. A hundred percent. And yeah. and it is, it is true. It's like Lord of the Rings for young children. Kind of, Facts. you know, it's very high fantasy. It is true high fantasy. Yeah. True. Like it's, it's higher. Fa- I'm not going to say that it's, let's just say it's, the highest fantasy um and they also quote lord of the rings remember he says i've read lord of the rings so like cool homage there for sure yeah yeah so he he steals the book he starts reading the book it's this story about how the nothing is consuming fantasia it's fantasia right this like fantastical fantasy world it's it's can it's like a dark cloud that's sweeping over the world it's just a void I think it represents depression. I think I think the dark cloud represents. Well, they say what it represents. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that. In yeah, the yeah. Part. But but yeah. anyway, there's this dark cloud that's you know consuming everything, and the highest council in all the land comes together and talks about this prophecy that the princess of the empire or whatever it's she's called, the, the, princess uh, of the, the kingdom, empress, the empress. Yeah, yeah, she's called. The empress. Uh, it, you know, is is dying and <laughs> you know needs to be saved by this this hero, this child of legend, this child, you know, child hero who hunts amongst the plains people for the purple buffalo yes 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 and it's uh a treyu a treyu which is that band i just burped excuse me which is that band yeah a treyu we used to listen to them back then i was like 12 listening to them a yeah. long time ago yeah uh, so anyway, uh, the most of the the first half of the story, I mean, most of the story follows the adventures of Atreyu, and it, it's like the classic like Iliad and Odyssey kind of epic. Fantasy, yeah, yeah, it's, where an, he it's has an to, epic fantasy. He literally has to travel to the opposite side of the world 
to get get what was he trying to get he was trying to uh he was trying to find uh the first it was the turtle the wise turtle right. and then the turtle sent him to the southern oracle yes. and it, again it was yes. the classic greek quest of Iliad going Odyssey. on this epic heroic journey to seek knowledge from some type of divine prophet yeah like the oracle or whatever do you want me to go all the way to the end yeah, yeah, but okay, leave okay. the occult stuff out. We're yes, gonna okay. yeah, just tell them. Right. Just yeah. So he he goes on this epic journey. His horse dies in quicksand. It's hilarious. It uh, is, but it's he, also sad. He he meets this old wise turtle, which is kind of like you know the Gandalf esque character you you could say, um, and he he ends up making it through trial and tribulation. Uh, he 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 meets this this fantastical mystical creature that is like a dragon a luck dragon oh yeah it's a luck dragon it's like a dragon with the face of a dog and it has fur and his name is falcor and he he's a luck dragon yeah he has shiny scales of light too yeah and and he tells atreyu essentially like hey you ain't got nothing to worry about now you got me on your side man i'm a luck dragon i'm gonna make your wishes come true like we're gonna we're gonna get this shit done together and whatever and and then it becomes just even more of an epic fantasy yeah they're flying through the clouds and it's just so epic and beautiful and they continue their journey and there's this like manifestation of this dark evil called it starts with a g gamork gamork yeah the gamork it's like a it's like a werewolf type creature like a big wolf it's like a big black wolf who exactly. serves the dark forest a black yeah. dog also fenrir bringing ragnarok yeah yeah we gotta leave it out yeah, okay yeah, i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm, I'm sorry. just saying that was bro, my fault that was saying. my fault that was my fault yeah it was your yeah you can't tip me like that yeah. so i got notes on the, notes bro <laughs> long story short uh they begin to approach the the ivory tower where the empress is held and atreyu is going up to save save the empress and he he learns that like oh you forgot one part oh what what when he when he passes through the swamp of sadness and he gazes into the mirror of truth to fake face his dark side this is leaving out the occult occult stuff this is just the story so when, when atreyu is in the swamp and he sees this mirror he looks in it and he sees bastion which is the kid in the real world that reading is reading the, the book. book. And it freaks Bastion out because like, it's written into the book. And it always shows these scenes cutting back to Bastion. And he's like, what? Yeah, yeah, he's like, yeah. this can't be happening. <laughs> the acting is so over it the is, top. It it's is. great, And, and it's both, great. both characters are realizing that they're becoming aware of each other as real people. Yeah, they're low-key. And both, we'll get deeper into that. Yeah, They're, they're low-key both having like an existential crisis yes, throughout the yes. story, which uh, is yeah. epic. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was an important part of the story. So, by the end of the story, when when or towards the end, when uh, Atreyu gets to the ivory tower, uh, he and the Empress together discover that he is not the prophesied child, but in reality, it's Bastion. It's Bastion. It is the kid that is reading the book, and the Empress tells Atreyu like. There is a kid in another world. He's with us right He's now. He's with us right now who is who is reading our story and watching this unfold and we have to get him to say my true name, to proclaim my true name, give me a name. Uh and he will save Fantasia. Fantasia yeah. He'll save Fantasia by doing that. And uh you know essentially he he does that like the 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 world ends up crumbling into pieces and being scattered across the cosmos but a single grain of sand is left which by the way it's light she calls it sand 
Okay. Leave, okay, leave okay. your cult stuff out. We well, it's not to... a cult. It literally no, it is. Like, it, is. It, it, it is, but it literally is a speck of light. Right. It, it is. Yeah, I'm just saying it's yeah. what the viewer sees. It's it's a shining little. It's a, it's a speck of light, and she yeah. says it's a grain of sand. Yeah. It's, it, with this grain of sand, we can rebuild Fantasia. Is right, essentially right, what she right. says, and then uh, basically. Bastion flies Falcor into the real world and murders his bullies. I'm just kidding. He, he throws him in the garbage. Yeah, he like throws him in the, yeah, yeah. He, he, doesn't he flies kill around him. and for a period of a few days or whatever, whatever wish Bastion makes comes true and yeah. w- with Falcor. And then he goes back to a normal life. Yeah. Now with the plot. So that is, that is, the, that's the generic plot. And it's the quintessential like hero's journey. It's the quintessential epic journey. You can hear just from what I explained. It's mystical. It's magical. There's crystals. There's sphinxes. There's like all sorts of mythological creatures and it's incredible. But now we're going to get all right, into so the All right. So if you nitty-gritty. are the listener and you have seen this movie and you're wondering, Team Bledsoe said so, <laughs> how could you possibly set out today on this day to convince me? that the never ending story is one of the most occult films of all time. Sit the fuck down and let me tell you right now. <laughs> we're we're going to never ending story is one of the most occult films I have ever seen in my life. No and doubt. I am not exaggerating. I have a lot of notes on this. So yeah. it is very esoteric and occult. Do you want to run through what you got first? Cause we have not Nick and I have a tradition when we research this stuff, we do not talk about it until we're on the podcast. Well, we, we have no idea, like in length. I would, I would much rather you take the lead on okay. this part okay, and, cool. and I'll play off. of Cool. Cool. Yeah. Like off memory. Cause yes. I, I have a lot of, cons- like I chronologically wrote down. Yeah. Everything I, I would I much rather do that. Cause I can't, I can't remember the chronology. Like you saw, no, I, I wrote it in chronological. I, I, I skipped over major plot points. I can't, but yeah, please. Okay, sweet. You, yeah. Right off the bat, the second you see this book, which is, I believe it is also in the movie called The NeverEnding Story, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually called that. I have to do a quick sidebar. We, <laughs> we, we forgot to mention something about Stranger Things, and I don't know if you, what? I don't know if you picked up on this. What? When Lucas is in the hospital, you go back and look at this. I swear to God, he's wearing a polo with the Philosopher's Stone on it. I did notice that. Yeah, we didn't okay. mention that. Okay. I did notice That's that. That's it. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, in my in the moment when I was watching, I Casey pointed that. it out. She's like, "He has a philosopher's star on his shirt." I was like, "What?" Yeah, there was okay. multiple uh, like occult symbols. I literally just remembered that. I'm sorry. No, that was totally relevant. Back um, to never. Yeah. So store. right off the bat, you already know the shit's about to be a cult because when he goes into the bookshop, he sees the book. You remember the symbol? It is entwined serpents of duality. One of them is light and one of them is dark. And they are they're enmeshed in a way that kind of looks like some sort of Chinese symbol. Yeah. Yin yang kind of yes. flow where the snakes are evenly flowing into one another, but they're also eating each other's tail like the Ouroboros. Which is very occult. Absolutely. Yeah, all of it. And what is that? It's like, called the Auron. And it represents like the cycle of life and rebirth or Well and in real life, yeah, when, when the mean. serpent that's is eating his tail. But in, I mean, in the yeah. movie, what they say it represents is like this hero who is going to serve on behalf of the Empress to save uh, Fantasia from the nothing mm-hmm. wears the Orin and is blessed you know, by the power. Right, and, and Atreyu, Atreyu wears it, he wears, wears the it. necklace. Yeah, he actually has right. the necklace, but yeah. it's also on the book. That's right. It's just another one of those moments where... Uh, you see Bastion and Atreyu being linked by the same symbology. See, I forgot about that. Like, I yeah, just watched well, it, it last I'm, week. I'm going to go a very uh, out of the box way with Please this, but do. I genuinely don't think any of this would be exaggeration. I think this is what they intended subtly beneath the viewer's perception, beneath the uninitiated viewer's perception. Yeah. All right. So right off the bat, you have this. And then uh, Jenny pointed this out to me. 
in the in the scene where Atreyu initially approaches this tower where the Empress lives, mm. and you find out she's gravely ill, she's sick. We forgot to mention that part. She's gravely sick. Well, I did say she's dying. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, she's that. she's sick. Anyway, she's dying, and you find out that's why this, I think it's called the nothing, right? Yeah. Is consuming the whole entire world and causing it to, like, break apart. And, um, you know, right off the bat, when you see this, this shot of this big, mystical-looking white tower, it's arranged in a way that sort of looks like some sort of uh, ritual circle. Some, oh, yeah. Some sort of ceremonial magical circle in the way that the audience is arranged around this priestly figure who's wearing white and the tip of the tower, believe it or not, we pulled up the picture and looked, it looks like the head of the owl at Bohemian Grove. What? Yeah. Look, I didn't look notice that. L- look it up, Alex. Yeah. Well, you might not know what to look up on look Never up, Ending Story, up but- Never Ending Story, Ivory Tower. By the way- Ivory Tower is a very archetypal thing that has been depicted for thousands of years. The Ivory Tower. Interesting. You, know, you always hear the saying like "up in your Ivory yeah, Tower." Yeah, that's true. That's it's true. a it's a very it's a fantasy trope. You yeah. Know? And then yeah. the next thing I noticed, obviously, was um, uh, Atreyu. Not only is he going, and essentially, you find out by the end of the the movie that this Empress figure is not exactly fully human. She's this very mystical goddess like figure. Yeah, They're, they don't outright say she's a goddess, but the movie does reveal that she's essentially a goddess. And also, she is the one that like like received the prophecy. Like she's psychic. She has yeah. She's she like, like all knowing. She has yeah. She's like omnipotent. She has like yeah. uh, divining powers and stuff. Yeah. Like, she's you know. essentially a goddess. Is I think yeah. what they were. I think I I believe with her, and I'm gonna get there later too as we get deeper into the chronology of the movie. Hell yeah. But I really do believe that they were portraying her as this divine goddess who who you know mm-hmm. we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. So um and then the next thing that to me was very significant is the prophecy tells of a man who hunts among the plains people or a boy actually who hunts among the plains people. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No uh, to 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 hunt purple, purple buffalo. buffalo. And you know, you think about it. There's two things off the bat that ring a bell. There. Number one, you have the ancient Lakota Native American prophecy of the buffalo, the white buffalo calf woman of the late, which yeah, is the lady, which is which- essentially you know many years in the future. My dad saw the lady, the shining entity. Um, of course she had blonde hair and blue eyes, but she appeared as a bull, mm-hmm. you know? And then in ancient Egypt, it was put in my dad's head by her that like, you can always have associated the mother. Oh, even Hera in Greece. A, yeah, a totally. Yes. A cow. Yep. This cow symbol, uh, uh, Hinduism reveres the cow as the sacred oh, right, symbol right, of yeah. Brahma and the yeah. divinity. You know, they don't believe in killing cows and uh, stuff like that. Eating, yeah. They don't the, eat beef. the cow slash bull symbolism. 
is extremely sacred when it comes to the goddess and the divine mother or feminine. Mm. And um, then, of course, you have the naturally dark perversion where they also tend to represent that as Baal and this like child sacrifice. But, you know, to every bad symbol, there's a good side and vice versa. For sure. Anyway, second thing that caught my mind on that is when you study people who tend to do DMT and have experiences with entities, Mm -hmm. what's commonly reported, even by people we know, um, that when they see some sort of goddess figure, it tends to be magenta or purple. Yeah. And I would, I've heard that so many times. I talk about that YouTube video where the guy sees the purple woman right. and then his friend goes in and sees the same purple woman and she's talking about the other guy. It's crazy. Plus I personally know people who have seen magenta slash purple entities for sure. Yeah. On DMT. Totally. So that, that, that immediately was just this, this subconscious click in my head. Like you have two ways that they're showing the archetype of the goddess and and I could be reaching, but uh, I I picked up on the Buffalo thing for sure. I didn't think about that, but I, I see it it. just makes sense to me, you know? And it's also, if you go, if you go further back than DMT with like ayahuasca and stuff like that, that's still magenta, purple woman yeah. oh and ayahuasca is ancient you know right right so it's, it's, it's been here forever i don't i don't know that it is a stretch I second think. thing i noticed and i could be really reaching here but i don't care it's fun to read sometimes hell yeah the name of the hero in fantasia is atreyu <laughs> and the first thing that came to my mind is uh in god of war which is arguably one of the best video games of all time one of the best Facts. video games of all time uh, it is it is my favorite single game of all time. I think so. I think it might be for me as well. I mean, it was life-changing for me. I played that game a few months later. I got my pet cats totally irrelevant, but I named one Odin because that game just stuck with me so Dude, hard. I can't I was, wait to see Odin. Oh my God. One. I know there's a new trailer, by the way, it just came it. out. Yeah. Oh, I watched I'm it on today. it. I'm on it. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, in, in God of war, the one that came out in the past couple of years, you 2018, find, yeah. right. You find out that Kratos' son, Atreyu is actually- Atreus. Is it Atreus? It's Atreus. Shit. Well, that whole theory's out, out the water, though. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was saying, I might be reaching there. <laughs> well, what were you going to say? I still want to know. He's Loki. Right. But that's yes. irrelevant now because it's not the same name. See, that I was going off memory there. Yeah. yeah but on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Atreus. Okay. Now, here's one that is real because, the, you know, this was observed just by my eyes in the movie. When Atreyu is at the temple... The cinematography of this to me is important. When he's speaking to this priestly figure who represents this goddess or empress figure, you don't see her till the very end. Uh, Atreyu is wearing this this shirt that it is the color gold, mm-hmm. and his shirt doesn't necessarily glow. It's just a normal, like it's like a gold tunic. But when he's speaking to this priestly figure at the ivory tower in the beginning, the light from the sun behind them has this soft like golden glow that causes his tunic to speckle with this golden light when they present him with the auron. And to me, that's symbolic. Like, you know, alchemy, like the transmutation of the soul. Yeah. Gold, the the solar power. He's ascending on this quest to become a realized solar entity. For sure. You know? Um, And wait, let me me step back for one second. I'm going to defend you on the Atreus thing, okay? Because one thing that jumped out to me this was crazy, and this is going to be jumping ahead in the story a little bit. Sorry, but I, I want to I want to get this Atreus thing down because I really think you might have actually caught on. To I've something. got notes, so you don't, you're not going to mess me up, dude. Remember the end of God of War when Atreus went into the Jotunheim Temple and he saw the prophecy. The, Atreyu did the same exact. Oh thing. shit! You're right. He did the 
exact same thing. Dude, you're right. He walked into the temple and the entire story of everything, of everything that, that, that happened just happened was on the walls. It was like identical. Like if you watch the shot of Atreyu looking at the walls and you watch the shot of Atreus, it is identical. He's running around and he's like, look, this is when we did this. And then he runs to another part and he's like, look, and that's us doing this. So essentially for those who are not aware of what he's saying in the game, God of war at the very end, when you beat the game, you, you, you go to the realm of giants, Jotunheim. Jotun, yeah. And, um, when you, when you get there through this, you know, dimensional portal through the cosmic world tree, Yggdrasil, mm-hmm. uh, you see these immaculate paintings on the wall that are like paintings of the main character, Kratos and his son, who you find out through this moment is Loki. You see like a prophecy playing out of everything you just did in the video game. It was already written in stone. And that same thing happens in never ending story. Exactly. At the end of the movie, just before he meets the goddess. Yeah. yeah, He walks into the temple and on the walls is everything that happened in the movie. Bruh. Who else is at the temple with the Treyu? The Black Wolf, the, yep. a.k.a. the Dog Star Sirius, a.k.a. Ragnarok. Fenrir. The great Black Wolf of Norse mythology who, who brings the end of the world. Slaughters Odin and brings Ragnarok. Yep. The darkness, the, the destruction of life, and then the cycle of rebirth. And I, I really do think there's some heavy Norse symbolism there. For I mean, sure, man. I mean, Fenrir. It's, it's literally Fenrir. By the way, you, did you see Fenrir in the new trailer? No, I didn't watch the whole thing. I saw TikTok clips. It, the last thing that it shows is uh, is Kratos and Atreus looking. Wait, I up did it. see it. I did. It's coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah, because it's about Ragnarok. It's called Ragnarok. It's, yeah, and yeah. you know, you know that they they took it. It's not a trilogy anymore. Really, the second that's one, probably for the best. The second one is going to be what the second and third are going were going to be. Good. So it's going to be like an eighty-hour campaign. Wonderful. Yeah, I know. Seriously, wonderful. Give, Thank give, you. Yeah, give it all to yeah, me. Yeah. I'd rather play one long, amazing game than two over many years. A thousand percent. A thousand. But yeah, man, uh, when we were watching, I paused the movie and I said, Casey, Atreus literally does this exact thing in God of War. I, you know what, man? Maybe I did pick up on something. I, I'm gonna. <laughs> I think you did. I, I, I'm gonna go back and watch. There's a documentary about the creation of God of War and they show every part of the I've game. I've seen clips of it. I yeah. bet you anything they pulled that from Neverending Story. I bet you. Very possible. I dude. bet you anything. I, but also it could go even further back than that to ancient stuff or whatever. Yeah. You know? And you see like the, the esoteric mysteries of the Norse myth and, and the Ouroboros that's, that's initially a Norse symbol. You know mm-hmm. the world serpent Jormungandr. Exactly. Who's also in God of War is so sick. That's um, like I, I believe that's the best game ever made. Oh, I think so too. As far as like single player campaign yeah. games with a story yep. and emotional content, yep. hands down, it's the it's the pinnacle. It's so much it's, love was put into that. Yeah, yeah. and attention to detail. And anyway, uh, that's that's the that's the meaning of of the Ouroboros and the World Serpent. We have to remember from an initiated perspective into the mysteries that these ancient religious systems are myths. Mm. They're they're ritual, mythological systems that the truly initiated read and they gain wisdom from to understand the secrets of reality and consciousness. Mm. This shit doesn't literally happen. It's hyperbolic. It's hyperbolic. It's metaphor. And the metaphor, it's allegory. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Actually, Elifus Levi is very famous for that quote as well. Allegory is the mother of all dogma. Straight up. The occultists are telling you like, yeah, you can, you can be the, the, the profane little idiots in the mainstream. I'm not calling y'all idiots. They're course, calling us right, idiots. Right. Y'all can be the profane little idiots in the mainstream, literally believing in religion or religions, but it's all allegory. Yep. And that was one of the things that helped me break free from that prison too. I had the dream of Osiris. I'm going to get back on track, but I had the dream sure, of yeah. Osiris started researching hermeticism, Gnosticism, realizing that like 
you know, they really do be having our minds in boxes. You feel me? Anyway. <laughs> so crapping, back, brother. Yeah. <laughs> That's behind the scenes. Bro. I know. Leave that behind the scenes. That was for that was for the omies. That yeah, was yeah, for yeah. The omies. Anyway, so um all right, yeah, yeah. Let me my phone scrolled. Give me a second. Uh real professional, bro. We're that new wave. We're the millennials who go on the internet and just Don't say wave. Alex will get excited. Oh damn, son. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Here's where we were. So I got the Atreyu part. All right. So he he's at this. He's at the ivory tower. He's wearing a golden tunic that yeah. literally glows in that scene, which you could view it as a heroic initiation. He he mm-hmm. is being he's being bestowed with the Auron, which is the symbol of duality. Which, by the way, his literal adversary is the darkness. Yeah, he's the hero of light with the golden robe. It's very Osirian and Horus, Osiris and Horus symbolism of being this eternal avatar whose role is to fight the darkness. Yeah. That's the story of uh, Osiris, Horus, and it's Set. The, it's the ancient story of light versus dark. It's the duality. It's, yeah. it's just literally this 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 reality is this uh, paradox of this eternal dance between light and dark, death and destruction. I mean, uh, uh, um, death and rebirth, creation and destruction. You could say it is the never-ending story. Damn! <laughs> I didn't think about that. It just hit me. It's it's the never ending story. It's the, the cycle. That's what I'm saying, dude. It's, this it's, movie is so deep. It's, it's it the is. Cycle. It's the cycle. It's the never. In- Damn! That blew Damn. my mind. Dude, <laughs> I, just blew, I just blew my own mind. <laughs> you just blew mine. Yeah, that was crazy. Um. All right. So he wears the golden robe. We're gonna move that past that part. His literal adversary not only is the darkness, but then again, it's the black wolf, which is esoterically linked to. Fenrir, literally the 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 wolf of darkness that slaughters Odin. Actually, like Odin is depicted as wearing an eye patch in the myth. It was Fenrir who who uh, ripped gave, his eye out. Actually, no, I'm so sorry. I got oh, that no, wrong. No, that he was plucked, a right, yeah. He no, he plucked it out and threw knowledge. it in a well for for, no, for knowledge, like infinite knowledge. Fenrir yeah. killed Odin. Right, he ate him. him. He yes, ate him, he yeah. ate him. Anyway, sorry. Moving on. All right. Crystal Towers, by the way, Come on. they don't go super deep into the crystal part, but it's just there in the world. Like yeah. right off the bat, you see the big rock guy. I can't remember his name. I don't either. I don't even know if they ever say it. They, call, they call him like rock biter. Rock biter, yeah. yeah. He's eating quartz crystals. He's like, mmm, quartz crystals. Yeah, mm, and limestone. Yeah. And quartz crystal. He has this funny like accent. I even said to Casey, like he's eating crystals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right off the bat, he's eating crystals. And then it doesn't explicitly show this and go into great detail about this. Um, it does a little later when the little scientist guy is like harnessing the power of crystals for his telescope. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's like total, there's a region in this world that the viewer doesn't see, but they reference it Lord of the Rings style. Like in the background lore, they have a whole crystal region with crystal towers. Super cool. The, the crystal tower in that inspired me so much. I've been working on a fantasy novel for the past few years, and I put it in. Which I have read the earlier manuscripts, and it's really good. Thank and, you. Yeah, That's yeah, so nice. Yeah. I, I, but I, I was so inspired by that. I was like, I want a crystal tower in my... Fr- yeah, why not? It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's so sick. Crystal towers? Come on, man. It, there's nothing cooler than, yeah. than crystals. Come I've on. got literally you know, six or seven crystals on me right yeah. now. I mean, I've yeah. got seven chakra crystals, lapis sunstone moonstone and quartz i'm i'm dripping bro you're dripping i am the crystal tower right now (laughs) anyway so uh, okay so this one's a little funny he's sent on this quest to go find morla the wise turtle jenny looked up the name morla it 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 wasn't like super deep it had some sort of meaning i don't Mm -hmm. remember but um not not super relevant anyway it's funny because he meets this ancient turtle 
thousands of years old or maybe even eternal. And when he wakes up this turtle, uh, she awakes and you quickly realize that this turtle is so ancient and so wise that she has developed another personality (laughs) just so that she can communicate with herself. And there's this duality of like two beings being in this one entity. And over time, this turtle became nihilist and she literally says and i quote nothing matters yeah yeah nothing matters but i think there's something profound to that because that's a true statement and she she nothing matters yeah yeah she she also low-key i'm gonna bring that back like discouraged atreyu from even trying yeah yeah Yeah, i thought it was a boy but i guess it was a she the the turtle it was a female okay i'm pretty sure she she said to him like it's 10,000 miles away. You'll never make it. It's not worth it. There's no nothing, point. At no least point. if I die, something will happen. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't matters. even, she didn't even care that the, the, every, the nothing was coming and he was yeah. like, you have to help me. You have to help me. She's like, well, I'll just go talk to the Southern Oracle. Yeah. yeah the the yeah. turtle was literally no help, but, yeah. but it's funny because you have this, this, this trope of this ancient wise sage who's lived eons and eons and eons and where they land after living in this world is like, Totally detached from reality and pure nihilism. Mm-hmm. Nothing matters. Yeah. But if you think deeper about that, everything everywhere all at once kind of tells the same story where you have this duality of the mother and daughter. One of them, the symbol of like she has the bagel on her head. And obviously it's like a very whimsical, esoteric nod, sure. you know, yeah. but like her whole point is nothing matters. Nothing matters. Yeah. But then you have the mother who's like, everything matters. Everything matters. Yes. If this is a dual paradox, both are true. Nothing matters, but also everything matters. That's exactly the thing that I said after seeing everything everywhere all at once is like you, it was like they came to learn that because nothing matters, everything everything matters. matters. Even the nothing. Exactly. Even the void matters. Yes. It's all part of this cosmic scheme. Exactly. And I think that's what they were getting at with the duality of these two oracles. One of them is nihilist. And then one of them is like this all knowing we're going to get to Extreme the Oracle. optimist. Right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. So, okay. So moving past the turtle. Um, all right. So soon after seeing the turtle, because that was, I believe right after going through the swamp of sadness yes. and his turtle yes. dies, he sees, he sees the mirror. I mean, his, uh, <laughs> his horse dies. Then you see <laughs> this moment where the wolf Gamork is in the swamp of sadness. It's the shot and it's a really cheesy puppet from the eighties. So it looks really silly, but you know, you use your imagination. It's epic. Yeah, dude. When I watch stuff like that, I put my head, it's into, imagination. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I put my head into the 1980s and I just like, I, I thought it was awesome. I'm also a sucker for the B list looking. I dude, mean, me too. B, it's, B-lo- it's, it's it, yeah. It's like, it, there's charm to it. There's charm. Yeah. It's endearing. It's very, it's very like, wow. They really, spent hours and hours and hours creating these puppets and learning how to mechanically work them. It's, That's the thing. I watched, cool. uh, uh, me and Casey watched Empire of Dreams again for the other day. Nice, we, we were nice. literally just drooling. It's, it's just, jaw-dropping. I haven't seen that in probably five years, and I just watched it again, and I was just drooling. Like The, the links that they had to go to before technology... To, to pull this stuff off is I just have so much respect for that. Anyway, yeah, they had toy spaceships fighting on in front of cardboard, and it was Star Wars, best movie of all time. Come on, it, it's another Star Wars reference. We can't go an episode without it lately. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Obi Wan did just come out. You can't blame us. It, it is the. It's also the greatest story ever told. For sure. For come sure. Come on. All right. So um, here we go. So he he the wolf is about to get him. It's about to grab a you and kill him. He just lost his horse. He just left the turtle. He's like really like kind of giving up. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's traveled miles, weeks. He's been on this journey. Falcor, it, it shows the shot of the light, the sky. And it's this dark, 
cloudscape. And I say that meaning like the shot shows the entire sky and it's covered on the left side. It's complete dark black cloud. It's the nothing. By the way, another little sidebar with, with the limited technology they had and not just putting my headspace in the 1980s, the sky shots in never ending story are some of the best I've ever seen. Cause they're like hand drawn, right? Lot, I don't. I don't think some so. of th- the backgrounds were hand drawn. Oh, okay, them. but some but I mean, them. but I'm talking about the the shots that you see where the clouds are rolling. I and know. Moving. Dude. I think that must have been some kind of smoke machine or something. I don't know how they did it, but like breathtaking. Yeah, seriously, that's the thing about that movie is like the landscapes are oh. beautiful and like the, the tower. First, dude, the first time you see the ivory tower, I, I was transported. I was literally. No, like, but the <gasps> scene when they're flying through the fucking cosmos. Oh, oh my god, we're gonna get there. Yeah. So yeah, it it. it the wolf is about to get him. You have two scene. You have two shots here where Atreyu is is like looking up. He's kind of like giving up. He sees the clouds or whatever, and then it shows the wolf, and it's like because it's a cheesy puppet. It's close up on his face, and it's this like action shot of the wolf running. He's yeah. gonna get him right before I called him Fenrir, but you know what I mean. Right, good work. Yeah. Right before the wolf is about to grab the boy. And that sky and that cloudscape, you see the dark, dark clouds on the left, which is the nothing literally consuming reality. And then you have these red light clouds on the right where like the sun and the light is shining through. Mm-hmm. And it's so brilliant because Falcor flies from the light and you just see this white cosmic entity. Literally, he's a cosmic dragon. For sure. You know, he flies down, he swoops in, he picks up a Treyu, and then he flies them to the top of a mountain, 10,000 miles away. Yeah. Literally 10,000 miles like, away. Like five miles from Lands on a mountain where like they're just waking up, gazing at the stars and you see Falcor. And yes, yes, I understand uh, my fellow listeners of Bledsoe said so that if you go back and you look at Falcor, he is a shitty looking puppet. But that's <laughs> that's not the point here. The point is the the message. The point is the 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 yeah. the intention. Yeah. And you look at him, and he is has these speckling scales of light. He is literally a cosmic entity. He's this he's this dragon from another realm that just brings this positive Dude, force. He calls he, it luck. He's Gandalf the White. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah, I mean, uh, thematically, same, yeah. same thing. Yeah. yeah. But he's like, he's an angel. Yeah, straight up. He flies down, he saves the child, and then he tells him, I'm a luck dragon. With me, you can't fail. Nothing bad will happen to you. Don't worry. You are safe with me. He's he's this force, this cosmic force that brings positive energy around the boy. And then for the rest of the trip, even though he thinks he's failing, he's not. It's all playing out according to destiny. And yep. he's essentially being initiated into godhood. So, so cool. moving forward, um, 
They need to remake this movie. They or, do, dude. Or, or do it in, as like a graphic novel or something. It's so good. All right, here we go. We're going to get into the more seriously uh, mystical stuff. Yes. So the goblin, do you remember the goblin guys after Falcor picks him up? And he's like, go down there. I have two friends that yeah, want to help literally you. literally alchemists. Yes. Like <laughs> So he goes down to see these two goblins who they're friendly. They're not ugly, scary goblins. They're ugly and scary, but they're also friendly. Well, yeah, but, they, but they're kind of cute. Yeah, they are. They're kind of yeah. cute. Yeah. Like, don't think like, like a Harry Potter goblin. Think, no. think more like a, I don't know how to describe it, like like a cutesy little goblin. Yeah. And they're tiny. They're really tiny. And he goes into their little hut or whatever. After Falcor says, go talk to my friends. They have something for you. He goes in there. And the first thing you see of these two goblins, they're like, they seem to be husband and wife. They're yeah, they're like and bickering. Yeah, yeah, they're like bickering like female and male counterpart. Maybe they're married. It doesn't explicitly say that. But um, it's crazy because I really believe that they are in indicating the duality of spirit and matter here because mm. on the one hand the male goblin is obsessed with science yeah he's obsessed yep he's obsessed with harnessing the power of crystals and understanding the spiritual technology of the oracle and he's drawing these diagrams of the sphinxes and making these mathematical calculations of the geometry of the two sphinx statues and we're going to get into the sphinxes later obviously for sure, for you sure. find out the oracle is the sphinxes yeah and um on the other hand the female goblin is more into potions and magic seemingly like some sort of fantasy witchcraft and it's crazy because you have this duality between the characters that perfectly not only is there always duality in this movie there's always this light and this dark the spirit and this matter fantasy and the real world both realities are true and happening simultaneously but you have the two goblins are like alchemy Yes. One of them is a scientist. One of them is a magic. Both are true. A magician. Yeah. Both of them are true. They work together and they help the boy be empowered for his quest. It's so sick. It's fucking alchemy. Yeah. You know, I, I really, all I picked up on when I saw that was like, oh, they're doing alchemy. They're like alchemists and whatever. And he's like studying crystals or whatever. But like wh the more that you're explaining this theme of duality, it really is in every scene. Every move, every bit of the movie. Every bit is, of it. Is clear duality that is really cool yeah even the symbol is duality it's the yeah. serpents but, and they're but, different but, but i didn't think of like the marriage of the mystical the magic and, and the, the physical in those two those two goblin creatures like yeah the, and like if they are married that's even cooler right like if they, you know it's because the union of the two that's but it. here's the thing here's the truth that most people don't understand i've been taught this by real like uh, you know initiates that 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 have their own schools in esoteric societies. You know, I've told you about this stuff, but like, that's one of the things that was explained to me very explicitly. The truth about reality is the esoteric science, the occult science, whatever you want to call it. It's not like 100% science only or 100% magic and spirit only is true. The real truth is when you merge the two and you study the Egyptian and the Greek mysteries, which has these expressions of consciousness, these magical things, yet there's always some real uh, scientific principle that can explain how reality manipulates in a way to make these things happen. It's all real. Like, for example, I can't go into too much detail about this right now. I suspect months from now, excuse me, months from now, if this all pans out, I'll be able to talk more about this in detail. But I can just say that, like, there are people who have gathered real data, mm. real scientific hard data 
of my dad doing psychic shit or, or, or beings appearing or whatever. There's always a real scientific explanation for these mystical things that happen. You can observe the way that reality changes with sophisticated equipment. But like we've said in previous episodes, the scientific institution of today is controlled by the academic racket, which is funded and paid for by not only our tax money, but the, the corporate 1% whatever they're, they're fucking losers and they're tricking humanity into believing it's black or white. It's religion or science. It's this or that, it's, right. it, you know, and it's, I was going to say, it seems like there is an agenda that like, there is no Venn diagram. You, there is either science or spirit and they, they negate each other. And that's the opposite of the it's truth. It's the opposite it of the truth. It is the opposite of the truth. Yeah. Both are, they're married. Mm-hmm. Like male and female. I agree. You know, hypothetically, you know, metaphorically. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. light and dark. They, they need each other to exist. It's duality. It's duality. Yeah. Science and I'll, I'll say spirit. It's the same you know? thing as spirit and matter. It, it, exactly. Like science is of matter. It's, yeah, it's, it's and exploring. spirit is of spirit. Right. But I know for a fact that there are certain advanced research institutes that, you know, many of them have board members that are CIA and DARPA. And, and I, re- I shouldn't say any more on that, but I, I, what I'm trying to express to the people listening to the show is I have seen data or, or heard of data or been explained about real measurable scientific data with machinery of, of, of funky shit happening that, that does not exist according to the current scientific mm-hmm. paradigm. That's all I'm getting at is that that's as beautiful how they have this little goblin couple and they show the union between the two through I, their literal marriage. I, I did not it's pick up deep. on that. That is deep. That's so cool. So moving on past that, my, my rant is over. Okay. At that point we're, we're about at like half of the movie, right? That's we're about, about, we're about two thirds. Okay. Yeah. Towards the end. Yeah. Um, Still maybe like 30, 40 minutes left. I don't know. All right. So he, he, uh, I did, I did accidentally get out of chronology. Easy fix. He hasn't met the Oracle yet. Mm. I said he did earlier. He didn't. Right. Um, he meets the goblin guys. They teach him about, uh, the Oracle and how he, you know, has to meet certain conditions, which we'll get into a little bit later to meet the Oracle. And essentially, you know, what I wrote down here, which we've already said, but he's on a literal traditional epic Greek quest to con- that that's totally greek i mean the oracle of delphi is an extremely famous uh greek trope yeah. they were real too oh yeah in real life like, like diviners right yeah. and y- well you find out uh one of the things that they did as well like um delphi i believe at one point was one of the spiritual capitals of greece back mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. and people from all over the west or particularly greece would make uh pilgrimages to this place to not only consult the oracles, but also consult the initiates of the mysteries of Eliseus, mm-hmm. you know, and what they would do. We've talked about this on the Orphism episode, which rest in peace. It's our least viewed episode. <laughs> I don't know why. It's, it's got to be. It's got to be the title. It's the title. It's, it, I, I loved that episode. Yeah, Whatever. it was awesome. Everybody saw Orphism. It was just like, what the I'll, hell is this? I'll catch Such a one. good episode. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I'm just teasing you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about this in, in pretty good length in that episode, but... Uh, the Eleusinian they, mysteries. And right, yeah. but but what they would do to initiate people into the mysteries of consciousness back then is, particularly in the Greek culture, they would consume this magic potion called kaikion. Do you remember? And it had psychedelics in it. Right, yeah, and, and, yeah. And it would alter people's consciousness, and then they would come back, you know, transformed, or they, or they would be believing they were initiated. You know, it's... For sure. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um... 
All right. So he, uh, that, that my whole point was that it's crazy that this movie is using that trope. That was a real thing in the ancient mystical past, the oracles of Delphi. Yeah. And you see it in the epics of Iliad and the Odyssey and things like it, that. It seems clear that they like directly drew the entirety. You, you know, it's actually, it's based on a book called The NeverEnding Story. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's, it's clear to me that the author like pulled all of this straight from myth and, and, oh, absolutely. and occult yeah. practice. Like all it, of it, all, all of it. Of it. it there it, is no yeah. question about that in my mind. Yeah. You're, you're totally like filling in the gaps that I didn't pick up on. And I'm coming to realize the whole thing beginning to end is dripping. It's going to get deeper. So I'm not, let's go. It, uh, we're going to go over on this one. So I, I <laughs> let's go. Yeah. I'm going over every one of these. notes. I'm let's sorry. Go. Bro. No, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll speed it up a little bit and not focus so much on each individual uh, individual Dude, I've had a lot of caffeine today. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot. I, the energy yeah, is high. The more caffeine I have, the more I'm like, bah, 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 and I hear so many words, you know, because I have racing thoughts, yeah, you know, like sure. ADHD, and yeah. the, the more caffeine, the more it's like I'm hearing thoughts all at once, and, yeah. you know. Yeah. Throw a little dyslexia on there, boom. <laughs> slur of words. Anyway, so... um. Where are we at here? Greek. Okay. Now we're going to, we're going to move a little quicker. He had to pass the gate of two sphinxes yeah. to meet the Oracle. And they are literally sphinxes. Oh, and they call them sphinx. They're sphinxes. I, I don't remember if they say the word. They, they may. Do. They, they may. They, they do. They say it multiple you, times. You, I just don't remember. 100%. I believe you. I just they, don't remember. They, yeah. But um, I was so blown away by the fact that I was seeing sphinxes. I, yeah. I, you know. Anyway, so he has to pass by these two sphinxes. And, and they're facing each other. By the way, they had huge honkers. And I'm shocked that in this children's show, um, they had nippies on them. They had nippies, bro. I cannot believe they showed that. They put the big honkers and the nippies? I, I, I wish, I don't even remember that as a child. Yeah, no, no. I don't even remember that. I don't I was, know how I'm, I wasn't tantalized by that as a child. I know. Like, I, I I get now why why it was every kid's favorite. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, the big honkers. But um, anyway, so he has to pass through these two sphinxes. And here's here's a part that I really resonate with that I kind of in my head have thought was a very important theme, but you don't really hear so many people talking about. But in order, what are you laughing at, Alex? What are you gigging at, boy? Oh, we got some gigging. I pulled up the sphinxes. You see the nippies, dude? I just don't don't know why they include This is a children's movie. Hey, bro, you see them nippies? (laughs) Loud and clear. I just can't believe they included that. Yeah. I was I was honestly just shocked. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, of course, particularly I stop, stop, I, stop, <laughs> stop, stop, stop right. your tracks. Next bullet point. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in order to pass the sphinxes, he ha- they they open their eyes. He had to touch in the their nippies. eyes. <laughs> Yo, I'm not going to say the name of these friends. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and, and they're good friends. I just, I just don't know that they would want this identity revealed publicly. And you know them very well. Okay. I'll tell you after. All right. They, when, they, when, they, when we would go to their house all the time, which you've been there dozens of times, um, do you remember? Well, you don't know what, you don't know who <laughs> yeah, I'm talking know. about. Yeah, yeah, you will. Yeah. But um, they're twins. I know. Yeah, okay. I, knew, I already yeah. knew it was them. You know what I'm going to talk about? They had no. a... They had a like a, they had a Greek style, like their, well, their parents had it, right. like a bust yeah. of like a female body. There was no head or anything, or there may have been a face, but it was like a Greek marble statue. Yeah. And they had it like their entire childhood. And I didn't go over to their house for the first time until I was like 
15. Yeah. And they used to think it was so funny. They, <laughs> they would show me the statue out in the, and they had a huge house too. Yeah. They would uh, show me the statue like in the corner of their kitchen. And one of the funniest things was the part um, on the statue where the nippies were was, uh, was, was, um, was faded. Yeah. Because when they were little boys, they always rubbed it. <laughs> <laughs> that is such like do a teenage. This? Yes, that's such a teenage know, boy thing to do. Like, come on. It's like, dude, what the heck? They were, they were literally. It was faded. <laughs> I saw this. I, dude, I, I rubbed the fade. <laughs> I rubbed the fade. You rubbed the fade, bro. Oh my god. Oh no. He rubbing the fade, y'all. Anyway. Oh. So the Sphinxes are like that. They are How are we supposed to move on from that? <laughs> and and here's the best part. So in order to pass through the, the, the gate to get to the Oracle, um, these two Sphinxes that are fa- that are facing each other and they they open their eyes when someone approaches the gate and they're Alex, you can laugh out loud. You don't have to sneak. <laughs> Alex I'm is trying, trying not to so take you off track. Not to laugh. I'm trying not to take you off track. It's okay. <laughs> we, we, we really don't have much longer. I'm, I'm going to um, move through. So these, uh, these sphinxes, they open their eyes. Their eyes are glowing white light. And they look at you and they observe your soul. And the only way that you can make it out of there alive is if they see that you have determined that you are worthy mm-hmm. to meet the oracle. Uh, yeah. What does that sound like? Thor. Straight up. I am worthy. Yep. You know, it's this it's this occult symbol. And if you're not, they'll laser you to death. They'll literally laser you into a pile of ash and yeah. bone. Yeah. But um they, they they just burn you alive. Yeah. And um it's cool because it's that symbolism of being this hero who is initiated into the worthiness mm-hmm. of you know, going on this quest or whatever. It's also like the proof of courage The you know, right. you, you have to, yeah. you have to risk your life to even have the opportunity to fulfill this quest. But yeah, but like from an esoteric perspective, that's, that's symbolic of uh, Thor who, mm-hmm. who wields this magic hammer or also, also symbolic of King Arthur, who is worthy of Excalibur. Mm-hmm. There, there's something, there's something profound to this, this archetype. Yeah. It's, it's an archetype. Love Any, that. Yeah. Anyway, so moving on past that, um, he, they see into his, I, I wrote down, they, this, this is a, actually, you're right. They do say sphinxes. Cause mm-hmm. I quoted this line directly from the movie. The sphinxes see into your heart. Mm. They view your heart or your heart chakra. Mm-hmm. The heart doesn't lie. And it determines if you're pure and if you're worthy of the quest. And naturally he is, he's the hero. Yeah. Um, and then he moves past when he passes that sphinx, he faces his shadow side in the mirror, mm, which is not so on. Cool. Yeah. And it's symbolic of. Uh, typical like native shadow work mm-hmm. where, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly what we talked about with Eleven in the previous episode where through going through her traumas, they call that shadow work from a magical perspective. You, you are facing the shadow sides of your soul or bro, think turning red, mm, turning red. Such a good she, movie. She's, she's faced with this trauma of pressure from her parents. Yeah. But when she faces that trauma, the shadow side, and she makes peace with it and merges it into her being. And like makes she accepts it. She accepts it for what it is. Releases judgment of herself and others, and makes peace with it. Mm-hmm. AKA uh, shadow work. Yeah, Th- that's that's what he does when he stares into the mirror. But also, he has an ego death because he's viewing a higher cosmic reality. When he looks in the mirror, which you could see as a portal between dimensions and esoteric symbology, magic mirror, magic yeah. mirror. You know yeah. who is the fairest of them all, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Um, in ancient times, people would stare into their eyes and scry in mirrors and try to see through their soul. It, it, there's some real ceremonial magic type shit in that. 
<clears throat> he stares into the mirror. It is a magical mirror that shows him his shadow side. And they even warned the boy, like, looking into this mirror, most people run away and cry like cowards, and it'll prove a hero that even he's a coward. And when the boy looks into the mirror, he sees, like we said earlier, he sees Bastion. He has an ego death, like he's blasting DMT or high level of mushrooms or whatever. He completely dissolves from who he is and who he identifies and realize there's a greater cosmos out there that's beyond his understanding. It's like DMT, you know, think out of the box. And if you notice, like from that point forward, he's a lot more determined and focused too. Oh yeah. He's He's, less like, oh, I'm going to die. Yeah. It's also the Gnostic myth of, again, (laughs) breaking free from this matrix hold on your consciousness and realizing you live in illusion and you are simply a manifestation of a, you are a thought formed in the mind of a higher cosmic entity and your whole little journey playing out is an epic story where you are ritualistically experiencing suffering and making sacrifices to grow somebody quote that because that was epic that was eloquent well that's what i got from the movie i know but you you put it that was well phrased my (laughs) friend well i appreciate that yeah I'll give you credit every now and then. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> anyway, so he, <laughs> he has the ego death. He breaks free of his illusion. He realizes he's literally he's literally just a little story, just like every one of us human beings are. We are literal, tiny little stories. And this is the shit that gives people existential crisis. But it's true, and that's why you tune into Bled Sussetso. You want the truth? We got it. <laughs> um, we are literally little stories playing out in the mind of God. Each, every one of us. Alex, Nick, Ryan all thousands and thousands and thousands in the future, millions of you listening to this show, Mm -hmm. every one of us are stories. We are just ideas in the mind of God. And we are all playing our own little part in this literally in a story. And, um, anyway, yeah, most people get existential dread when they hear that shit. Uh, (laughs) moving on. The second gate is literal blue sphinxes of light. It's the same as the previous sphinxes, although they were gold. The second one also had the nippies, big bust. They are blue sphinxes of light. (laughs) They're staring at each other and behind them is serious symbolism. There is literally the star serious behind the blue sphinxes, which again, from ancient occult symbolism, in modern times, it's prevalent in Masonic symbolism. You see Sirius as being revered as the true source of spiritual light that animates the uh, the the spirit realm. It's the sun behind the sun, blah, 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 the mystical sun. The five-pointed star in Masonic symbolism not only represents consciousness spiraling higher and higher, but it also represents Sirius, the blazing mm-hmm. spiritual star, whatever. Sure. The black dog, yeah. Sirius, yep. as well as Fenrir. Yeah. Um, cause Sirius is also known as the dog star, the black, yeah, black dog star. <clears throat> Damn. And shit, I dropped my crystal dude. Oh no. I dropped my crystal pyramid. I'll get it later. <laughs> um, it's by the way, these, the, okay. So here's where it gets weird. Here, here's, here's the finale of the movie. And I was like, holy shit, this is so occult. Yeah. People yeah. out there are laughing. Like these ki- these, these guys are nerds. They're watching movies from the 1980s. Like, whoa, it's a cult. It's really funny when you think about it. It's awesome. It is. Anyway, so the Blue Sphinxes of Light, when he... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
approaches them. And you see this, it's, it's such a beautiful shot. He's in the desert, it's dark, there's like sweeping dunes and sand, and you have these massive, massive blue sphinxes facing each other, it's that duality, but uh, with the star series behind him, and then they begin to speak to him. And as they speak, they begin to crumble. But while they're speaking, if you remember, what they're explaining to him is that there is a higher reality, and there is... Um, uh, the, 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 the reason what the, what the, by the way, they're the Oracle. I think I said that the sphinxes are the Oracle and what they explained to him is that the reason their reality is crumbling and being consumed by the nothing is because we speaking from the perspective of Fantasia, they're telling the little boy, we exist within the mind of humans from another realm. And as this realm begins to, uh, lose touch with their imagination we exist in the realm of their imagination and as their society evolves and begins to disconnect from their imagination we are beginning to fade and be consumed by nothing and fade just like the nippies on on that statue <laughs> you know what i'm saying fade, fade just like that man it's tragic it really is tragic it's a Damn. it's a greek tragedy man i hope my wife's not mad about that one <laughs> <laughs> nah she probably think it's funny as fuck but anyway <laughs> yeah so they explain to this little boy as they're crumbling the 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 reality that he sees before him is quite literally crumbling fracturing it's fracturing and being consumed by this void his his perception of reality is breaking down as he is being initiated into the truth or as the greeks would call it the gnosis mm -hmm. that he is a thought in the mind of a godlike entity to him from mm -hmm. his perspective yeah. in a higher dimension yeah when, the boy reading the book so following that allegory when he looks in the mirror he sees god he sees that he is a piece of god but it's also yeah it's also him yeah he's connected to yeah he is a fract uh, uh a piece of a god. fractal piece of god yeah. yeah it's pure esoteric gnostic Egyptian hermeticism. Um, and we're getting a little closer to the end here. Um, let's see here. He, I, I literally wrote that. Atreyu was initiated into the gnosis that Fantasia, uh, Fantasia only exists in the mind of higher beings. Also, his entire reality is just an egregore in the thought of, of these godlike entities that they would know as humans. Yeah. You know, they're little characters on pages, mm -hmm. but they're real. Mm -hmm. they're, they're powered by the imagination. Yeah. Then you get into like Edgar Casey, Neville Goddard, real mysticism. You realize that imagination is how you use your psychic perception and manifestation. Anyway, another story. Um, Falcor flies Atreyu through the... Oh, oh, one more thing. I skipped one more thing. The black dog, the wolf, he has this final moment with Atreyu. Atreyu slaughters him. He stabs him. Uh, kind of like some symbolism of Hercules slaying the Nemean lion and becoming this initiated hero. Uh -huh. But he kills the dog. But before he kills him, the black dog says... Um, he literally says uh, he is the servant of the power behind the nothing. This part I put in parentheses, the cosmic force of darkness. And then he says, he was like, why? Why do you serve the nothing? Why do you want to do this? And the dog, the dog Gamork says, people who have no hope are easier to control. So it's like, they're kind of, it's kind of telling you there, like the, the people at the top of the human race who serve the darkness and are trying to fuck up humanity. They're just. Who are trying to replace uh, religion and spirituality with. Real, uh, science. Exactly. Yeah. They're and trying materi to materialism. They're, they're yeah. literally just a bunch of loser ass bitches who, 
are, are, are they were probably such fucking nerds when they were little kids. Grew, grew up, Shots fired. I mean, I'm a nerd, but for they, sure, you know, like they 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 grew up in these extremely elite wealthy families. The only real power they have is money. You know, you throw them in a yeah. ring with even a 12 year old kid, and they'll get their ass kicked. You know, and they're these they're these losers like the Bill Gates and and the the Jeff Bezos and all these like just stupid ass elite people who literally have a say so in the future destiny of humanity. All they want is control. And that's why they serve this dark agenda. They just want control. They want the money, the power, the influence, but really they're nothing. They are nothing. Yeah. They are nothing. I'll fight all of them for charity. I'm just kidding. For charity? Sam Tripley says that. I'm just kidding. I was just (laughs) just referencing him. Anyway, so moving on, we're almost at the end here. I promise. Um, Falcor. So at this point, Atreyu believes he's failed. He lost the Auron. Um, which was that medallion that was given to him by the priest of the goddess, essentially. She's called the Empress in the movie, but she, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, for yeah. this purpose, I'm calling her a goddess. Uh, he loses the Auron by getting thrown through this like kind of void thing. He wakes up. Reality is literally cr- crumbling. He slays the wolf. Like what Nick said earlier, he sees all the symbology of his entire quest playing out. Everything that happened in the past, it was written out for the future. It was like a prophecy that he was supposed to go through all this. Super cool. Same thing happens, like we said, in God of War with the Loki character. Um, and then he, Falcor picks up Atreyu. He literally, this one's going to blow your mind. He literally fucking flies Atreyu through the cosmos of space with yeah. like spiral galaxies and stars. And it's beautiful. Yeah. For an 80, for a 1984 film, it's beautiful. Yeah. When sure. he flies through space, dude. And um, it, it's just more so reinforcing the notion that Falcor is not just some earthly entity, but he's this he's cosmic, cosmic spiritual being between yeah. realms. By the way, he can go into the real world. Yep. He's, he's an angelic being that can hop through dimensions. Yeah. Um, and, and in ancient times, they depicted these entities as serpents of light as well, uh, particularly in like Japanese and Mayan cultures. And even in Hindu, they called them Nagas and, and Devas and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, right. so um, he flies through the galaxies. Now, here's the part that might blow your minds. And most people, this will go over their heads. But this is very significant. This is extremely, profoundly occult. Okay. So the Rosicrucians had this idea. Don't ask me why I know this. I just know this. But the Rosicrucians have this idea where they have a concept of having for the last thousands of years, having created a Rosicrucian exclusive egregore through the powers of their consciousness through this fraternal order for literally thousands of years. They've created an egregore known as the Celestial Sanctum. And it is described as being a temple in the cosmic realm between the physical and the psychic realms. It's, it's somewhere out there towards like pure spirit. If you know anything about egregores, that's what they are. And they described this as being a cosmic temple where through meditation and astral projection, you can enter this temple and receive gnosis from God or, or higher consciousness. Now, what happened? Falcor flies. Oh, by the way, it's depicted, drawn by the imperator of Rosicrucianism. Uh, it's drawn as like a Gothic cathedral. It's right, artistically yes. I depicted. Remember, I remember yeah, I showed seeing, you that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's depicted as a, a, a Gothic cathedral. Falcor flies him through space, and in the background, you could call it the horizon, uh, they see this celestial sanctum. They show up at this cosmic temple where the goddess sits. It's the ivory tower. It's the ivory, ivory tower, but it's also the Rosicrucian celestial sanctum. That's badass. Right? That would go over most everybody's head. Now, I, the, I didn't all think they got to do is just go Google the celestial sanctum, yeah. and if that's any sort of public document, then, then they'll see it. Anyway, so um, moving on past that, he goes there when they show up at the 
the the the celestial sanctum they don't call it out of the movie but i'm you know i'm making a, a a reach here it has three circles each of those circles and i'm talking about like on the ground right yeah where the temple you know there's a tower and then the, <clears throat> like kind of like the palace grounds there's three circles and then there's spirals inside every one of those circles again yeah. it's that five-pointed star symbolism infinity consciousness high, yeah consciousness spiraling up forever um Moving on, he walks through the temple. It's the temple of the goddess. He meets her. She's actually a young girl his age. She's mm-hmm. an all white with like gold jewelry. She's all knowing. She's omnipotent. Yeah. Or uh, uh, omniscient. Yeah. She knows everything. Now, this is the part that may have went over everyone's head. When he walks into the temple, behind him, it shows a shape that looks like the shape, the loose shape of an almond. I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. That's the Vesica Piscus. Yep. Now, if you go and you Google pictures of ancient sages, even Jesus, many times like Buddha, just different sages from various cultures, or especially Catholic iconography, they have this almond shape behind them, which is symbolic of having been manifested through the cosmic portal of life, through the cosmic womb. Because mm-hmm. remember, we've talked about this. The Vesica Piscus is symbolic of the 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 cosmic womb. Everybody manifests through a womb. It's the cosmic portal through which life manifests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, on a physical level, that would be through female you know, birth. Anyway, so um, he walks through that symbol, and then you, <laughs> as he's walking, I shit you not, man, go, go, go look, watch the scenes, Alex. As he's walking through the temple of the goddess, there are literally the decorations on the walls and everything. This is going to sound weird. I'm being dead serious. It's all vaginal yeah yeah it's all that same shape it's all the same shape and there's like waves and like really really feminine esoteric symbolism it's overt and you know the the thing that people need to understand is it's not for the sake of perversion no it's for the sake it's it's not like they're just drawing every nude images every person that's ever existed emerged through one of something shaped like that and and, and the point is not you know like kids wouldn't pick up on that it's very subtle it's 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 a it is a nod to the generative forces of nature. For example, most people don't know this. We talked about it in episode 13, uh, the, the soul odyssey or whatever. But the, the, the obelisk, one of the most famous occult symbols of all time, literally represents the phallus of Osiris. Right. And in these ancient cultures, think thousands of years ago, they would get into these altered states of consciousness. They understand the duality, the, the balance of the masculine and the feminine forces. So they would have these secret... Um, secret reverences for these forces of nature and they would oftentimes in an obscure way depict them as human genitalia yeah because it's 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 relatable it's relatable but it's also like it's it's obfuscating the deeper meaning yeah you know it's not that they're just perverts it's not like that right right that's not what it's about it's it's the secret knowledge that you know part of our soul has a generative sexual force that brings life. Every human being on this planet, unless you have some genetic condition, every human being on this le- planet can play a 50-50 part in creating and manifesting a soul into this world. It's yeah. just a fact. There's a magical power behind the sexual union or the the reconciliation of opposite forces in every level of reality. Ours is just really fun and, and you know, it plays out in a certain way. And anyway, you get what I'm, <laughs> you get what I'm saying with that. Anyway, so... um. 
wrapping up at the end here. Turns out Atreyu didn't really have to experience any of that. At any given time, Bastion could have just said the name of the goddess and saved the whole reality. Yeah. Point being, Atreyu had to ritually and symbolically go through that suffering. The hero's journey. The hero's journey to be initiated at the end into the truth and the gnosis that he is only part of a tiny illusion and he truly exists in the thought and mind of a higher cosmic entity, obviously Bastion. And um, he had to discover that he was worthy of this knowledge. He had to be deemed worthy to be initiated into this gnosis. Um, and then wrapping up at the end here, um, we already said this, but the boy had to speak out the name of the goddess to manifest her. Mm-hmm. When he gave her a new name, he manifested her and literally Bastion. Hang with me, Alex. We're almost done, I promise. Less than five minutes. Bastion, um, when he speaks, when he begins to become more connected to the story and the little boy is beginning to believe that these characters are aware of him, when he speaks at certain points, they hear it in Fantasia. Mm-hmm. And it's like the thundering of the voice of a God and yeah. it crumbles buildings. He's like a God to these little people in the book. And when he speaks, oh, didn't even mention the first part of the the movie, when his dad is telling him, like, get your head out of the clouds, boy. You're a, you know, you're a young man. Time to grow up and put your feet on the ground and do your homework and be a, and, and be a real man now. Yeah. You know, because his mom is dead. He just had an imagination. Major theme of it was keep your feet on the ground. Get your head out of the clouds. Stop living in your little imagination and get do better grades at school. Yeah. Little boy's sad. And then at the end, when the goddess, the goddess is like, you have to give me a name. You have to give me a name. He's like, <laughs> Bastion is screaming, but I can't. I have to put my feet on the ground. Yeah, He's yeah, talking about yeah. being grounded yeah. and not being lost in his imagination. Turns out all he had to do was let go, fully be immersed in his imagination. Yeah. And that gave him the power to manifest the goddess. It's mm-hmm. crazy, crazy mystical shit. Yeah. And um, anyway, and it gets even weirder. I'm going to end it with a, with a fucking mic drop. Um. He calls out the name of the goddess. I don't remember the name. Not important. Yeah. He, he, he manifests her. And then there's a black void. The entire world of Fantasia is destroyed. It's consumed. It's not even destroyed. It's consumed by the void. It's nothing. It doesn't exist anymore. And in this complete black void of darkness, you see the little boy, the real boy, Bastion, Bastion. and the goddess figure, yeah. the empress. empress. And she's speaking to him. And like Nick said, she gives him the last grain of sand of Fantasia, but it is literally a speck of light. And she puts it in his hand and she says something to the effect of like, from this spe- from this grain of sand, we can rebuild Fantasia anew. Only if you wish it to be so. Yeah. It's the philosopher's stone. It's the philosopher's stone, but it's also think of like a God willing an entire reality into existence. Yeah. Reality can be whatever you want it, it to be. It can be whatever it's, you it's want it to the, be. It's the philosopher's exactly. stone. Exactly. And she tells him, whatever you wish will come true. And he said, well, how many wishes do I get? And she says, well, as many as you want, as many as you want. And the more you wish, the better Fantasia will be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, essentially he is initiated. The, also the boy Bastion goes on his own journey through the cosmos and he is initiated into the gnosis that he is also a creator God that through the power of his will and his imagination, he can create realities before him. Now here's the mic drop. I haven't even mentioned this part. The, the, the reader's going to hear this one and think it's funny as fuck. Um, essentially, this whole story was a ritual magic ceremony. Mm-hmm. The little boy Bastion, not only does he have this occult grimoire, if you think out of the box, it's a grimoire. Yeah. Um, he's remember, got a bunch of candles he, around him too. And bones. <laughs> yeah, and bones, yeah. Because he's in the attic of a school, and his high school or middle school or whatever, he's sitting up in the attic. 
He's got this fucking grimoire. He's in the dark. He has candles set up with him in like a ritual circle. And, and is it, because it's a school, there's like theater class and there's all kinds of props. But the cinematography makes careful, careful direction to show that he's sitting around bones and uh, candles in the dark reading a fucking grimoire. And this little boy is like, if you think about it out of the box from a, a ritual magic perspective, he's communicating with entities. In through, another dimension? In another dimension <laughs> through a fucking grimoire. <laughs> the whole movie was a ritual is, magic ceremony. It is so mystical. There are so many levels to this. Yeah, it, every level of it is mystical and magical <laughs> and occult. And like, this story is dripping. I, I, I want to watch the sequels. Yeah, yeah, I saw him as a kid. I don't remember them either. I never saw him. So my last point is the main character did a ritual ceremony. (laughs) He experienced some crazy spooky shit. Yeah. And then he summoned a cosmic serpent into his reality. (laughs) Because Falcor manifests in the real world, takes a little boy on a ride. He's like, woo! <laughs> he's flying through New York City, and he like he like fucks up the bullies, yeah. and he's just like flying around on Falcor. Yeah. <laughs> and he and, and think, think the story of Jesus. He comes back from the dead, and then for forty days, Jesus walks around, and he can do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just doing miracles <laughs> and shit. Yeah, literally just making anything happen. He, he was initiated into like. Christ. Godhood. Yeah, Godhood. Yeah. He ascended to Godhood. And he basically becomes a god at the end of the movie. <laughs> like flying around on a dragon, just making anything he wants happen. He's like summoning titty sphinxes and shit. Like, like he's just a, he's a god. And that is where I, I am out of gas, boys. Mic drop. Thanks for letting us go over, but I was way too excited for this episode. Yeah. I could not miss a single bullet point. Yeah, Thank that you. was that was that was one of the funnest episodes ever. That was, it was awesome. like story time. You were really listening there. Uh, yeah, I got quiet. I never get yeah. quiet. Was that good stuff? That was incredible. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, hit him with it. Let's let's give it to him. All right. What, what time do we get to? Uh, minute or an hour seventeen. Hey, oh, we didn't go bad. too much. I was over. thinking it was like an hour forty-five. Yeah, right. I was too. Yes. Yeah. All right. Bye, Bye guys. guys. Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch-ch-ch-ch- 
Chumba. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.